This is the Michael Slate Show, and I'm Michael Slate. We have a packed show for you today, but first, this. July 4th! July 4th! people from Rise Up for Abortion Rights protesting on the farce of July, July 4th. So, at the back end of today's show, we're going to hear the remarks from Larry Everest, author and activist from Solidarity with Iran's Political Prisoners, an international roundtable that took place June 10th, 2022. It was sponsored by the Peace and Conflict Studies, Johnson & Wright Funds of DePaul University. All of the presentations are available on the YouTube channel for the International Emergency Campaign to free Iran's political prisoners, and I really recommend that. Before that, we'll hear Rafael Kadaris, correspondent for the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show on Enough Woke BS, Say the Word Women. And before that, we'll hear speakers from a speakout in Los Angeles on June 24th, the day the Supreme Court announced the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And opening the show up, we'll listen to Sansara Taylor, a co-host of the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show, talking about what rise up for abortion rights accomplished matters. What we do next is crucial. Last Friday, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. It ripped from women 
the fundamental right to an abortion, to decide for herself when and whether to have a child. This ruling was illegitimate. It was also a watershed moment in the future of this country and for women's lives around the world. Immediately, abortion became illegal in Kentucky, South Dakota, Wyoming, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, Tennessee, Ohio, Alabama, in addition to Texas. A clinic escort at the last abortion clinic in the entire state of Mississippi described a young woman who drove up to the clinic. She admitted that she had already called and been told the truth that every appointment that that clinic had left for the week or so it has before it has to shutter its doors has been filled. But she came anyway desperate for the abortion. And she sat in her car and cried as they told her they could not see her and that she'd have to find her way to drive all the way to Atlanta to hopefully get an appointment. Another clinic worker described through tears having to call up 60 patients in her area, 60 patients and cancel their appointments and listen to the desperation in her patients' voices as they tried to figure out what they were going to do. She described this as sitting next to a fire and watching it grow and consume more and more lives and the fire is raging and growing and she's right next to a bucket of water, the legal abortion that these women need and she can't use it. This is an atrocity that we are only beginning to get the full dimension of, the pileup of lives shattered every day by this illegitimate Supreme Court ruling that women don't have the right to control their bodies, their lives, their destinies. The women whose lives will be foreclosed by forced motherhood, the women struggling to feed the babies they already have at home, women who go to the hospital with miscarriages or dangerous pregnancies who are criminalized, turned in by Christian fanatical healthcare workers, arrested, put in handcuffs, the government turning women's wombs into sites of surveillance, doctors unable to help women who need abortions for ectopic pregnancies. We are only beginning to see the horror of all of this. And the fascists behind this assault, they are just getting started. They're not going to be satisfied with banning abortion in half the states. They are going for a federal abortion ban. And Clarence Thomas, one of the fascist Supreme Court justices who just overturned Roe v. Wade, wrote in his concurring opinion that not only did he think Roe v. Wade, abortion rights, was wrongly decided, he thinks the right to birth control was wrongly decided. He thinks the Supreme Court rulings codifying same-sex marriage was wrongly decided. He thinks the rulings by the Supreme Court that decriminalized gay sex in people's private bedrooms was wrongly decided. This is infuriating. It is outrageous. Everybody should be furious. And we should be furious not just at these fascists who have taken this right away from women, but against the people of this country who sat back and let this go down. It did not have to turn out this way. It's not like there was nobody fighting. Rise up for abortion rights, which I initiated together with Merle Hoffman, Lori Sokol, and others from diverse political perspectives and backgrounds. We were out there sounding the alarm, calling on people and mobilizing people to stand up and not let this go down. We waged nonviolent civil disobedience. We went to jail. We held protests and rallies. Thousands and thousands of people joined with Rise Up 
for abortion rights, join this movement across this country, walking out of school, shutting down business as usual, disrupting sports arenas, doing all kinds of bold and courageous things, hurling the shame of the patriarchal Catholic church back at the church, waking people up again and again, popularizing the green bandana of the victorious and heroic struggle for abortion rights from Argentina and Colombia and Mexico and other countries across Latin America. Let's listen to just some of what people said at these rallies. We can no longer afford to stand aside. This is why we have decided it is time to step up. Because we have come to understand that it is time to put it on the line. It is time to say enough. It is time to find our courage and through doing so, to summon the courage of millions and millions of women across this society that they don't even yet know is burning within them. I want to get the attention of every woman and girl and every person of conscience in this country because women's rights are in a far more critical state of emergency now. Without this basic right, without this basic right, between these terrorist trolls and the Christian fascist supermajority on the Supreme Court. We want to just have control of our own bodies and it's fucking right. patients in the United States were between 18 and 29 years old. That's us right here at UC Berkeley. We have to fight and you here are fighting and you have no idea how much other countries are looking at the U.S. and what we do. I'm tired of doing nothing, and that is why I'm here right now. I know a lot of students right now, they, they talk about it, they're like, this is wrong, but we need to be here. We need to make this history happen right now. If the Supreme Court thinks we're going to be bystanders while they take our rights away, they are mistaken. I'm here today on behalf of Iranian women to warn you to take fascism and the power of religious institutions seriously. Not the church, not the state, women must decide their fate. Not the church, not the state, women must decide their fate. I'm representing all the black women who have bodies who have been used to incubate babies slavery. Our bodies were made to produce more free labor, and that's what this world is turning back to. I am sick of fascism and hate. I am sick of indiscriminate bombs falling. I am sick of guns. I am sick from the destruction of our precious earth from pillaging and raping and spilling and ravaging and extracting of our forests and seas and land. I am sick of patriarchy. 
dear brother Carl, my dear sister Sustara, and the others who understand the intimate relation between the attack on women's rights, women's control over their body, the attack on poor people, the attack on black people, the attack on indigenous people, the attack on immigrants and brown people, so that there's a solidarity bringing us together against an escalating fascism in the country. And at this particular moment, we must be in the streets, not just hit the streets, stay in the streets, and some of us again, must indeed go to jail. Salgamos a gritar, no voy a permitir que me quites ese derecho. As bands started uh, rolling out throughout the country, the initiators of this movement looked to the streets and saw that no one was there. The streets were silent. They turned to look to the pro-choice movements, to Planned Parenthood, to NARAL, to the National Abortion Federation, to the Women's March that is happening today. And they were disheartened to learn that those groups all had decided that being in the streets does not matter. That we should just sit back and sit down and wait for Roe to be overturned because that's our destiny. This is not a crisis that we can donate our way out of. And this is not a crisis that a one-off protest is going to solve, no. This demands sustained action. This demands noise. This requires you. We need you to stand up, to rise up, and demand that abortion remain safe, legal, on demand, and without apology. There are few things that are as beautiful as furious women and girls and justice-loving people taking to the streets, standing up, standing shoulder to shoulder and fighting for a better future and a better world. And you know what? This mattered. Rise Up for Abortion Rights, everybody who took part in it, we planted a fighting pole. And if thousands and tens of thousands had joined with us and turned to hundreds of thousands and then millions staying in the streets, it wouldn't have been easy. But we might have had a situation where last Friday we woke up not to see half of society lose their basic fundamental rights. And it mattered that we were out there on the day of the decision, actually every day for weeks leading up to the decision in front of the Supreme Court. It mattered. Without Rise Up for Abortion Rights on the scene and around the country, you would have seen the images going out around the world would have been one side of Christian fascist fanatics. <laughs> Popping champagne, dancing and celebrating, talking about how they're going to criminalize all abortions for all women in all circumstances. And mostly you would have seen on the other side people crying demoralized, defeated. And yes, I cried too. I felt that anguish and that pain. But we raised the cry and we led others to echo it. And it radiated across the country and around the world. Illegitimate. 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 Bullying was illegitimate. It must not be accepted. And people in this country need to stand up now, fill these streets and demand that the U.S. government at the federal level restore Nationwide legal abortion. 
This decision must not stand. Legal abortion on demand. This decision must not stand. We planted a fighting pole, and all of that matters for the battle going forward now. We must seize on the shock, on the anger, the anguish, and the fear that is rippling across this country that is finally sinking in, and the ways that people are being jolted out of their comfort zone. We need to reach into their hearts, and we need to let them know that now is the time to struggle. Now is the time to take to the streets, and we need to be out there calling them forwards. Now is the time to wage massively disruptive, nonviolent civil disobedience and resistance. We need to flood the streets and bring business as usual to a halt, demanding that the federal government restore legal abortion across this country. Right now, Rise Up for Abortion Rights is planning actions this Monday, July 4th, under the theme, when women are not free, no one is free. Rise Up for Abortion Rights demand the federal government restore legal abortion across this country. What you do right now matters. Lift your heads, channel your fury and your rage into action. Let's see each other in the streets. That was Sansara Taylor speaking on what Rise Up for Abortion Rights Accomplished matters. What we do next is crucial. We're going to take a quick musical break and be right back, so stay tuned.
Now we're going to hear voices from a speakout in Los Angeles on June 24th, the day that the illegitimate Supreme Court overturned Roe and gutted women's rights. First will be Gloria Allred, feminist, lawyer, and activist. As many as you, of you know, but you weren't there when it happened, I had an abortion before Roe v. Wade in California when it was a crime in the penal code for anyone to assist a woman to have an abortion. After I was raped at gunpoint in Mexico and came back and found out that I was pregnant and that you couldn't get an abortion in California. I wasn't a lawyer, I was a teacher. I was a single parent with a young child. I didn't know anybody who could give me an abortion, but finally a friend of a friend of a friend <laughs> told me somebody who would do it for the money, because that's the way it was with back alley abortions. And that person did it and left me in a bathtub, hemorrhaging in a pool of my own blood, and they could take me to the, then finally an ambulance took me to the hospital because he said, I can't help you t tear up my number. I'm only here for the abortion. I can't help you afterwards. So I was taken to the hospital with 106 degree fever and packed in ice. And as I say in my Netflix documentary called Seeing All Red, the nurse who was anti-choice said, I hope this teaches you a lesson. And it did teach me a lesson. Abortion must be safe and legal. But also keep in mind, nobody ever gave women any rights. They're not going to give them to you now. You have to fight to win them. I was just on an interview. Uh, another one with someone from another state and the reporter said to me Gloria well you know there's a lot of violence against outside of the homes of Supreme Court justices do you endorse violence and I said no I'm against violence especially the violence the gender violence that's been inflicted on women's bodies today Because if a woman and a girl can't get a safe and legal abortion, that is gender violence. Don't you agree? Yes! Yeah! We we've said for years, women my age, and there are many of them, I have them contacting me and telling me about their abortions before Roe v. Wade, back alley abortions. And many of them were maimed. Some died. People telling me about their relatives who died from illegal abortions. This is no laughing matter. This is the way it was. This is the way it is. This is the way it's going to be in those other states. So yes, we do have to go to the streets. You're in the streets. Give yourself a round of applause for being here. Because you know that. And you have to continue to be in the streets demonstrating. And I always said, yeah, do it legally, do it peacefully. Now I'll say do it legally, but don't be peaceful. Yeah! You know, we have a saying in the women, I'm going to be 81 years old in about 10 days. And I can tell you, thank you, that the saying in the women's movement that it's the only movement in which the participants become more radical as they get older is true! Yeah!
Now we'll hear speakers from Rise Up for Abortion Rights in Los Angeles, Victoria and Luna. Hi, I just want to say thank you everybody, brothers and sisters, for coming out tonight, today, every day after this, because we need each other. And together we outnumber them. <laughs> and it's really ridiculous because they're making rules for us and they're clearly biased. So how is this even standing? And I come to you as a woman, not as a womb, as a daughter, as a niece, as a sister. I am so much more than my reproductive parts. And to be honest, I don't even know if I can physically carry a baby. And I don't want to find out. I don't want to find out at all because I have family in Georgia. And what if I found out there? What am I supposed to do? I'm a United States veteran. I served over six years. And I can't say that I'm proud of it anymore because when I served, I served to protect this right. And I served because I was born with this right. I was born with this mother right. And I served next to men who I thought I was equal to or that I fooled myself into thinking that I was equal to. To come back here and now have to pick it up again and fight my own country for a right that everyone deserves. Man, woman, I don't give a shit. This is your choice. Not my choice, not their choice, your choice. You choose, I chose to join the military. That was a choice. I had no body autonomy for six years. For six years. I didn't have a choice over my own body, but it was an end and it was a contract and I thought it was over. And now we're all in the same boat and no one signed up for this. And there is no end unless we get out on the streets and come together and yell and come together and demand a change. This is about life. This is about LGBTQ. This is about my brown and black brothers and sisters. This is about women. This is about everybody. <laughs> I'm literally shaking it. If you aren't here in the streets, why not? I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. Where's my family? Where's, where is everybody? Because they say they support us. But I can't like that. People saying I can't have likes anymore. I can't have any of this. I need people to raise their voice. I need people to speak out. Rise up! I'm just calling everybody to the streets. Vets rise for Roe because I, I will not and I cannot let this stand. I am not going anywhere and I will fight. I will fight again and you will see me here. Just like everybody else in the streets right now. But I want the, I am coming out of anger, but I want the message to be love because love is what's gonna last. Anger is quick, but love is what pulls people together and we can make this, we can overturn this. We can make a positive change for us and the future generations. Thank you. Yes, Victoria has been a part of it since the league. I wanted to, okay, I don't have my glasses. I did, I wanted to put Ethan on the spot. Cause they, they let a walkout at Bell High School after this league. 
of high school students all over this country. And Ethan, Ethan Lilla Waco, when it wasn't that popular, I remember them telling me, I don't know that people are gonna walk out. I was right there in front of your high school. You're like, oh my God, are people gonna walk out? And they did. And look, so I wanna bring you up because you, you have a lot to say. Um, I'm really anxious. I have a uh, anxiety, <laughs> but um, I just want to say that uh, I'm really, I'm really glad that there's still like hope, like not hope, but there's a lot of people here that bring me hope, you know. And it sucks because it's like so many people have so much to say, and they don't even have a uterus. Like they, like. If, if you don't have a f***ing uterus, uterus, why are you talking, you know? Like, people should be in control of their own body. Right now, there are a lot of people spending a lot of time attacking women who insist on using the word woman to describe those most impacted by the gutting of women's rights. So we're going to hear a commentary by Rafael Caderas, correspondent with the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show, on enough woke BS, say the word woman. Hi, I'm Rafael Caderas, and I'm going to be calling out some that's been coming up recently in the struggle for abortion rights. The erasure of women and unprincipled attacks on people who are on the front lines of this fight. Let's get into it. Any day now, the Supreme Court will come out with a decision on Roe v. Wade, on women's fundamental right to abortion. And right now, it looks like they're on track to snatch this right away. This should be an all-hands-on-deck moment for everyone to raise bloody hell, to get out in the street, to come to D.C. and put their bodies on the gears of the machine and prevent this atrocity from happening. Think about what this will mean. Women forced to bear the children of their rapists. Miscarriages investigated for murder. Women trapped with their abusive boyfriend or some random guy she hooked up with. Dreams and careers shattered. Police and bounty hunters tracking women down for crossing state lines for an abortion. The lifeless bodies of women found next to untwisted wire coat hangers. A Christian fascist movement even more unleashed. A society that views all women as nothing more than breeders and servants of men. And a state geared up to punish them. The threat of forced motherhood hanging over every woman and girl of childbearing age. Everyone who recognizes what this will mean needs to be sounding the alarm and calling people into the streets now. Yet many of the groups and individuals that people look to to fight this are not only not calling on people to come out, they're actually obscuring the nature of the attack and the target of it by avoiding and in some cases refusing to use the word women when talking about abortion. Instead of saying pregnant women, they insist that this be changed to pregnant people or birthing people or people with uteruses. From Planned Parenthood to NARAL, Pro-Choice America to the American Medical Association to city and state health departments, this is increasingly becoming the official position. 
The ACLU recently posted a list of groups disproportionately impacted by abortion bans. Guess which group wasn't even mentioned? Women. At protests, chants get changed from pro-life, your name's a lie, you don't care if women die, to pro-life, your name's a lie, you don't care if people die. This video was tweeted from a local Planned Parenthood. When talking about abortion, it's important to use gender-inclusive language. There's a very common and dangerous narrative that the only people that need access to abortion are cisgender women. Abortion is an intersectional issue, and our language needs to acknowledge that people who may not identify as women also need access to abortion. Using terms and phrases like a woman's right to choose or women's rights when talking about abortion excludes trans and non-binary people. Talking about women's rights and a women's right to choose is now an affront to trans people? 99% of people who get abortions are women. What the hell are you talking about? Worse yet, some of these forces are attacking the one group that has consistently been calling people out in the streets on this and is right now protesting in front of the Supreme Court. RiseUpForAbortionRights.org because they insist on telling the truth that this is an attack on women. And even worse, Instead of engaging in principled debate about the nature of the attack on abortion and what's, what must be done to defeat it, they're using personal attacks and slander to go after Rise Up for Abortion Rights leaders like Sansara Taylor, as well as Bob Avakian and other Revcoms. Think about it. At this moment when the right to abortion is hanging by a thread, there are people who are making it their mission to prevent people from joining this struggle. This is identity politics, woke insanity, running amok, and it is ridiculous that we even have to talk about it. You know who's not afraid to use the word women? The Christian fascists who are behind this assault. I'm gonna tell you right now, what is a woman? This is an easy answer. We are a creation of God. We came from Adam's rib. God created us with his hands. We are, we may be the weaker sex, we are the weaker sex, but we are our partner, our husband's wife. Wives, writes Paul, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now what is submission? The idea is to place oneself under, to, to subordinate oneself. I believe that, uh, yes, this, this passage in 1 Timothy 2, uh, verse 12, very much applies for all time. Paul even grounds this idea that men are to teach and to lead, to exercise authority and not women in the creation. He grounds it in the example of Adam and Eve. And this passage, among others in the New Testament, is a call to women to accept the role that God has given them and to seek to flourish in that role. It's a good role. There's much uh, good to be wrung out of that. So I have a question for you, Stig. Sure, what's up? 1 Timothy 2.15 says that she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. I know salvation is not by works, so what does she will be saved through childbearing mean? When a woman bears children and they grow up to live like Jesus, she is spared from shame. Okay, I guess that makes sense. But what would she be ashamed of? The verse right before it tells us, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Because Eve made the call that day, she bears a unique shame and burdens all women with her stigma. But childbearing offers a unique opportunity to erase this stigma. Mm.
erase this stigma. Holy But yes, this is what the attack on abortion is actually about. As Bob Avakian, revolutionary leader and architect of the new communism, wrote in a very important recent article on Revcom.us, the crucial fight for abortion rights and ending all oppression, broad unity and necessary struggle, it is not more inclusive to use terms like people who get pregnant. It is more diffusive. It dilutes and weakens the point that in its essence, denying the right to abortion is about the patriarchal enslavement of women. Forced motherhood is enslavement of the half of humanity that is female. This is the main and essential thing going on with the attack on the right to abortion. Chase Strangio of the ACLU, one of the main apologists for this gender-neutral, so-called inclusive language, said something very revealing in this interview on Democracy Now! By the way, the more we have this non-inclusive discourse, it's not just trans men and non-binary people who are excluded. It's the entire system of gender-based policing that is then invisibilized. No, Chase. The system is about way more than gender policing forcing people to conform to rigid male-female roles. It is part of a system of patriarchal gender oppression, a system which, by the way, arose together with the division of society into classes and can only be ended as part of the struggle to get rid of the whole system of capitalism imperialism. But as long as we're talking about policing and making things invisible, what about invisibilizing the oppression of women and policing, even canceling those who refuse to go along with that? The system of gender oppression most definitely involves the violent persecution of trans people and all those who don't fit these patriarchal gender roles, attacking trans kids and taking away their rights, driving them to suicide. And it means everywhere you turn, women are degraded, demeaned, objectified, super exploited on the job, called bitches and hoes on the streets and in the workplaces, told to be silent and submissive, raped, battered and murdered, Simply for being women, erasing the word women does not erase this reality. In fact, it makes the situation worse by, yes, trying to make this oppression invisible. And right now, it means the most fundamental ability of women to control their own bodies is on the verge of being ripped away by a pack of misogynist jackals and robes. All this needs to be fought. And all these struggles need to be directed toward putting an end to the system, which is the source and cause of all this. But instead of linking things together in this way, instead of fighting to get rid of this system through revolution, some people are focused on trying to get in on it, competing over who's the most oppressed and jockeying for position and space within this system. Instead of building the strongest possible resistance now to stop this massive atrocity against women, which could come any day now, some people are focused on attacking those who violate the constantly mutating standards of wokeness. This needs to be stopped. And anyone who values truth, justice, the lives of women and girls, as well as trans people, and a better future for everyone needs to call this out and say the word women and rededicate themselves to stopping this fascist assault on half of humanity. That was Rafael Caderas on Enough Woke BS. Say the word women.
Now we're going to hear Larry Everest, writer and activist and spokesperson for the international emergency campaign to free Iran's political prisoners from solidarity with Iran's political prisoners. An international roundtable that took place June 10th, 2022 at DePaul University. Uh, thanks, every, thanks, Alessandro, and thanks to everybody. And uh, I will do my very best to be quick. Uh, I want to speak about the questions we come up against, uh, and I want to thank all the panelists. Of course, I'm going to be trying to draw from what some of what they've said as well. Here's some questions we get in that we've gotten in carrying out this campaign, and that we need to speak to to expand this campaign, uh, as uh, as everyone has been talking about. We urgently need to do. There's all kinds of things going on in the world, lots of terrible things, lots going on in my own life. Why should we focus on prisoners halfway around the world in Iran? And can anything really be done about this? That's a real question. 
First of all, we're fighting to stop outrageous, unconscionable atrocities from taking place. Just this week alone in Iran, two political prisoners were executed, Majid Amouri and Qadir Nasseri. Courts also upheld 16-year prison sentences for two globally recognized award-winning astronomy students, one of them 22 years old, one of them and the other 23 years old, for daring to think, speak, and act politically. These things have to be stopped, and we know that international attention and pressure can help do that. Two prisoners, and uh, I think Sitar referred to this, Nazanin Radcliffe and Anushe Ashuri were freed earlier this year. Now, we know it was partly due to the dealing and wheeling and dealing these the imperialist British did with the theocratic fundamentalists in Iran, but it was also because of the efforts of everyone on this panel, uh, the families of both Anushe and Nazanin, Amnesty International, Center for Human Rights in Iran, the International Emergency Campaign, the families and so on. That made a difference in freeing them. And we also know, as Miriam said, that international pressure has saved some prisoners' lives by getting them medical releases, uh, better treatment in some cases and so on. Of course, much, much more needs to be done. But we're not just fighting to stop these atrocities. We're also defending and spreading the heroic spirit and courage that so many of these prisoners have shown that's crucial for the future of Iran and that humanity in this country certainly needs much, much more of. I want to talk about one example, which has been mentioned by a couple of the panelists, Nargis Mohammadi. This past November, she was arrested for the 12th time, again subjected to the uh, torture of solitary confinement, denied books, pencils, adequate bedding, phone calls, even calls to her children who she hasn't seen in seven years. During this time, these years, she's had two major heart attacks, yet she continues as she writes to fight for justice and her sacrifice has been worth it, she writes. The only way to survive is to protest, resist and unite against it. And of course, we could give many, many examples of this uh, we could spend the rest of our time doing that. This heroism isn't something just to admire, but something to defend, emulate, and spread. And it's very much related to the point that hot, and, and we know that this is why we want to strengthen the spirit of the prisoners. Regime officials have told various prisoners that, why are you so famous? Why do so many people know about you uh, around the world? And we've got feedback from prisoners who watched or heard of our different clubhouses and forums that the International Emergency Campaign and other groups have put on. And 
But the third reason is that the fate is that the struggle and the fate of these political prisoners is directly related to the fate of over 80 million people in Iran and with global impacts. Uh, the point that Hadi brought up at, at, in his talk about this extraordinary uprising in the face of terrible state violence of workers, of teachers, of bus drivers, of um, artists, of intellectuals, of filmmakers who have been standing up in recent months, in part being inspired by the courage of these political prisoners, but also who've also been inspired by the courage of the people of Iran. And Look, protesting in Iran can be very, very different than protesting in the US. Your life can be on the line or you can be put in jail for 10, 15 years. So the courage that's being shown is extraordinary. And when we defend and fight for the political prisoners, we are also fighting for that courage and the just struggle of the Iranian people. So what do we need to do to actually free Iran's political prisoners? Speaking for the emergency campaign, and again, uh, everyone on this panel has been involved in their own ways in fighting for the political prisoners. But the emergency, speaking for the emergency campaign, um, we've helped spark or organize protests around the world, in New York, in, in Europe, London, Paris, Dusseldorf, Berlin, even Finland and Sweden, and all the way to Bogota, Colombia. Um, and we've also brought together a global community, including very prominent voices of conscience, like Nobel laureates, uh, Shireen Abadi and uh, Jody Williams, uh, people like Noam Chomsky and Daniel Ellsberg to sign the emergency appeal to um, free Iran's political prisoners, while also condemning any U.S. aggression or sanctions against Iran. Truly an unprecedented statement, which was published in the, and brought before hundreds of thousands of people in the New York Review of Books, which we are aiming to publish next in Ms. Magazine. But obviously much more has to be done because we need to create the kind of global outcry of condemnation that puts the sort of pressure on an exposure of the Islamic Republic of Iran that threatens its functioning and its legitimacy and strengthens the struggle of the people against it. That's a big task, but this is what we need to, to aim for. And speaking of, uh, I think that uh, Sharzad mentioned breaking the silence and uh, some things that our campaign was doing. And two particular things that we've come up against and are working to change in this country are first, people in this country need to stop thinking about themselves in America first and start thinking about humanity, including the people of Iran first. And they need to reject the notion that the only choice is 
choosing which oppressive regime is somehow less evil or less bad than the other one. America isn't a force for good in the world, and Iran's Islamic Republic isn't an anti-imperialist alternative to global capitalism and the American empire. And this is something we've been struggling about. Supporting prisoners in Iran does not mean supporting U.S. sanctions or war efforts. And condemning uh, the uh, the U.S. imperialism as its actions throughout the Middle East, as I've done for, and many of us have done for quite some time, does not mean we're supporting the Islamic Republic. This is why, very importantly, the appeal of the emergency campaign proceeds from the interests of humanity, not the agendas of the world's reactionary powers, and it declares we have a special responsibility to unite very broadly against the repression of the IRI, but also to actively oppose any war moves, sanctions, or threats of aggression. And I want to step back here and read something that's been very, that again, Sharzad touched on this issue. Uh, and I want to um, read a very important analysis from the revolutionary leader and author of the new communism, Bob Avakian, that's deepened my understanding, I know, of this global clash between Islamic fundamentalism and Western imperialism. Avakian writes, what we see in contention here with jihad on one hand and Mac world, Mac crusade, in other words, Western imperialism on the other, are historically outmoded strata among colonized and oppressed humanity up against historically outmoded ruling strata of the imperialist system. These two reactionary poles reinforce each other, even while opposing each other. And this is very important. If you side with either of these outmoded, you end up strengthening both. And he goes on to say that while this understanding is crucial, we also have to be clear on which of these historically outmoded forces represents the great, has done greater damage and poses the greater threat to humanity. The historically outmoded ruling strategy of the imperialist system, and in particular, the U.S., um, and again, I think this is a this is very important both in taking a stand in support of Iran's political prisoners while also opposing the actions of the U.S. government, but also a very important thing to think about in terms of the points Hadi was bringing up about the debate that's now going on about the very future of Iran. Um, I have more to say about what the campaign's plans are and what we've accomplished, but I want to stop there. I'm hoping Heidi uh, can stay for a bit. And I just want to thank everybody uh, very much for coming and, your, your, and for, um, for your presentations. That was Larry Everest. And that brings us to the end of yet another show. I want to thank my assistant producer, Henry Carson, my production assistant, Jeff Pryor, and each and every one of you for tuning in. If you want to share your thoughts and ideas about the show, or if you want to volunteer to be part of the show, write to me at mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. Once again, that's mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. 
When the people do 